Thanks for joining us today at Launch Point Church in Lebanon, Tennessee. We believe the Bible is the written word of God without error and useful for every part of our lives. We believe that through learning and teaching of the word, others might come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. Thanks again and enjoy today's message from Pastor Jim Kubik. All right, I'm preaching today a new series titled, He Is. And what I want to talk about for the next, till I get done talking about it, <laughs> is the perfections of God. This is what I think one of the greatest problems with Christians being able to walk out their Christianity. We don't know who we are or what we should be because we don't understand who God is and who, who, who God is. And so it's hard for me to identify who I should be if, I don't, if I'm not familiar with the person I'm supposed to be duplicating, the person I'm supposed to be mirroring, which is God. We should be mirroring the heart of God through Christ Jesus. It's part of being in Christ that we carry to the best of our ability his perfections so that the world might see them. Amen? But if we don't know who God is, which is why it's so important that we read the Word, how can we possibly be that? I, I didn't meet my dad, as many of you know, until about two years ago. And so I could never, before I met him, act like him, walk like him, talk like him, um, purpose in my mind to make other people understand who he was because I wasn't in relationship with him. I didn't know him. So the more I know about him, the more I can tell people about him, the more I can tell people about him, the greater his reputation grows. And it's the same way with God. This is God's intent for us. It's the reason why he gave us the word. So we can see the perfections of the beautiful God that we serve, everything that he did to ensure that we could be in relationship with him so that ultimately we may make Jesus' name and his name more glorious by the power of the Spirit. Everybody got where I'm coming from? And so my intent is to just, for the next however many weeks, uh, talk about who he is. Specifically, his attributes, his qualities. What makes God's perfections? And today I want to talk about um, he is mercy. He is mercy. And I'm going to do that out of chapter 18 of Matthew. God is merciful. Let me explain something to you because there's going to be some three forms of language that you hear that all relate to one another, but they one is a product of the other one, which is a product of the other one. God is merciful. Mercy is God's perfection. That's his attribute. Now, what is mercy? Mercy is the, is the willingness to not punish someone who deserves to be punished and you have the power to punish. If you have the power to punish them and they need to be punished, but you don't, that is the definition of mercy. All right? Out of mercy breeds compassion. So mercy becomes compassion. What is compassion? Compassion is the action taken of mercy. What did I do to ensure not only that I don't punish you where I have a right to or cause you some pain where I have a right to or ostracize you when he has a right to what action did I take to ensure that not only were you not punished but that you were in relationship that is compassion 
Jesus Christ, or God extended his compassion to us because he is merciful. And his compassion that he extended to us was the act of forgiveness. So mercy is the attribute. Compassion is mercy in action. And the action that he took to us, to give to us, is forgiveness. And so you're going to hear me talk about mercy, compassion, and forgiveness. Because mercy breeds compassion. Compassion breeds forgiveness. The reason God forgave you is because he had the right to destroy you and didn't and decided to take action on where you didn't have merit to ensure that you could be in relationship with him. And that is, if there's ever a definition, it's the reason why I start here, if there's ever a definition of a merciful perfection, that's it. Because he could have wiped us off the face of the earth and probably should have. Certainly it was within his power to. But he looked upon us with a broken heart and determined instead to extend us the action of compassion by forgiving us. Amen? And so I'm going to talk to you about that out of Matthew chapter 18. But I want to do it in context. In verse 15, it says this. If your brother sins, I'm going to start teaching in 21, but I want to do it in context because no text stands by itself in Scripture. Did you hear what I said? You should know what it says before and what it says after because Scripture taken out of context is not only dangerous, but it's condemning. And so if your brother sins, go and show him his, this verse 15, go and show him his fault in private. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. But if he does not listen to you, take one or two more with you so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every fact may be confirmed. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector, which means don't associate with them. Don't, don't be friends with them. Ostracize them. Part of the reason we got such a decay in the church today is because we're not willing to offend anyone by ostracizing them, by telling them you can't be here because you refuse discipline. Well, the, that, it sounds harmful to them, but it's not because when they don't have their support structure, guess who they have? They have God. And so it's actually beneficial to them to receive discipline if they've not listened to you, if they've not listened to you and another, and they still haven't listened to the church. To set them aside so that God may deal with them is the greatest gift you can give an unrepentant heart. Sometimes you just got to turn people over to the Spirit of God and let the Spirit of God deal with them. He says, truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Now, this verse, I believe it's true. When we pray, we have the ability to bind things and release things. But in context, this verse is speaking of that which is forgiven. If I can forgive you, if he's gone through the process and I forgive you, then what is forgiven on earth has been forgiven in heaven because we're commanded to forgive one another. Amen? He says, again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth about anything that they may ask, it shall be done for them by my Father who is in heaven. For where two or three have gathered together in my name, I am in their midst. Again, this is another verse that's taken not out of context, but separated He's talking about forgiveness here. For where two or three have gathered together in my name, for the purposes of reconciliation, I am there. Everybody got me? So, 
in verse 21. Let's start talking. Then Peter, having just heard about how to deal with an unrepentant brother, starts asking questions, which is Peter's nature. These are questions we expect Peter to ask. Peter's arrogant, a little loud, and he wants answers, and he's pretty black and white about asking them. Um, like my brother Justin over here. But that's why I love you, buddy. Then Peter came and said to him, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Let me explain to you what Peter's doing here. He didn't throw out seven times arbitrarily. It was Jewish tradition to forgive three times. At the end of three times, if they still didn't uh, act right, you could just be done with them. So he's saying seven times to say, God, I, I know I know how you are, Jesus. You always forgiving folks and whatnot. I'm, I'm willing to do double what's expected of me plus a little bit. He was expecting Jesus to say, that's right, Peter. That's, that's good. You're doing a good job. But Jesus didn't say that. Instead, he says this. I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Anybody have any idea off the top of your head how many times that is? 490 times. I want you to forgive somebody 490 times. To which I am sure, now the text doesn't say this, Peter had to be thinking, how am I supposed to remember 490 offenses? There's no way that I can keep track of 490 offenses. He hurt my feelings, I forgive him. He hurt my feelings, I forgive him. He hurt my feelings, I forgive him. Am I supposed to write a uh, hash step mark every time he he's forgiven so that when I get to 491 I could finally say I'm done with you that's impossible I can't there's no way I can remember that to which I am certain Jesus was thinking that is the point there is no term in which you are responsible to stop forgiving other people because God hasn't stopped forgiving you that's pretty it's pretty blunt but it's true I would hate to think that Jesus at 491 times was done with me because he would have been done with me well within the first year of my salvation. And if Jesus is willing to forgive us 490 times plus, which is this number that can't be traced, then shouldn't we also be willing to do that for one another? And then he explains why. He says, because the kingdom of God, for this reason, the kingdom of God may be compared to a king who wishes, who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. I'm going to put something on y'all right here. It, the time for settling accounts is coming. You may not know. What time? In fact, the Bible is very specific to say that you know, will not know what time that time will be. 1 Corinthians 15 says that it's within the, twinkling, within the twinkling of an eye, which means you better be right, and you better get right, and you better act right and stay right. And when you don't act right, you better ask God to forgive you so that you might be right again. Because the king, God, in this instance, the king has the right to settle accounts. And those accounts will be settled. Amen? And so he can do whatever he wants to do. But here's the truth. Here's the beautiful truth. 
that beautiful truth is that he knows that we owe a debt we can't possibly pay. This text continues in 24 through 26. It's halfway through 23. I'm going to start there. To a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he had begun to settle them, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. But since he did not have the means to repay, his Lord commanded him to be sold along with his wife and children and all that he had and repayment to be made. He owed a debt that he couldn't possibly pay. We owe a debt that we couldn't possibly pay. Let me explain to you what this debt is. If you take the 10,000 talents, I did the math here, hold on a second. 10,000 talents at the average income of $13.25 an hour, which is today's money, it's $106 a day. Hold on, I've got it here. $106 a day, $530 a week, $27,560 a year. One talent is 15 of those years. One talent is 15 years of salary, which equates to $413,000. But he didn't owe one talent. How many talents did he owe? He owed 10 talents, which means he owed the king $4,134,000,000. This is going to be important in a minute. The king was willing, or the king knew what he had taken. He knew that he had a debt that he couldn't repay. We have a debt that we can't repay. In fact, he, there's not a chance that this servant was loaned this money. What master would loan his servant $4 billion? It's more likely that he stole that money from the king, took that which was, that wasn't his, walked in rebellion, snuck around, did whatever he had to do to ensure he was taken from the king. This is all important because this is what we do when we sin. We take that which isn't ours, which is the glory of God, because we think we know better. And we can't repay that debt. And because we can't repay that debt, someone has to pay that debt for us. And the great thing is, is that God understands this truth, that we can't pay the debt we owe, so he sent his son Jesus Christ to pay the debt that we owe. Y'all seem far less impressed with that than I am. We deserve death, according to the Scripture. Romans chapter 6. For the wages of sin is what? Death. Sin, by its very definition, is rebellion to God. It is an affront to God. It is to separate ourselves from the image of God. It is to walk in absolute contradiction to the character of God. In us being made in God's image, anytime we sin, because we're supposed to reflect the image of God, then we're showing the world, this is what God looks like. And that should scare us. If I thought every time I did something I shouldn't do and sinned in a way I should well, you shouldn't sin any kind of way, but I sinned, and as an image bearer of God, reflected in an image contrary to who he is, and I'm showing the world an image of God that doesn't exist, 
No wonder he has a right to kill us. No wonder we owe a debt that we can't pay. But Jesus Christ, through the cross, determined to show us mercy. Specifically, decided to give us compassion. Because mercy is the thought. Action, or the compassion, is the action taken because of the mercy. And then this happens. We owe a debt we can't pay. God understands that. And the king is merciful. And the Lord of that slave, verse 27, felt compassion and released him and forgave him that debt. Please listen to those verses or to that verse. And the Lord of that slave felt compassion, decided to take action where he could have taken just, where he could have taken your life, where he could have punished you but determined not to. His action, that compassionate action that he took to demonstrate how merciful he is, is the forgiveness he offers you. The forgiveness that he could, has offered you, is offering you, and will continue to offer you. Because he is a loving but merciful God who demonstrates compassion. But he didn't just show compassion. That compassion being the action caused him to release him because he was already under arrest. He was going to put him in prison. He was going to sell his family. He was going to do all these horrible things and forgave him. It's not enough for us to mimic God's release. Where it says, released him and forgave him the debt. You have to forgive too. You can't be all, somebody come to you and ask for forgiveness. You'll be fine, just get away from me. They've been released. They're moving on. They've asked the forgiveness that they, they need from you. They may have been absolutely sincere about that. So you release them, but you haven't forgiven them. Our responsibility is to forgive them because Christ forgave us. This whole thing is about how we love one another well. How we demonstrate the mercy of God to the people around us. One of the greatest, and when I say greatest, one of the most horrible things that we do in the church is we don't forgive one another. Even though we know we've been forgiven an incredible amount. Verse 28. That slave went out. That slave that was just released from $4 billion worth of debt went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a 100 denarii and seized him and began to choke him, saying, pay back what you have done. So his slave fell to the ground and began to plead with him, saying, have patience with me and I will repay you. This is the same verbiage that the slave that owed $4 billion used. Have mercy on me. Be patient with me. And I will repay you. The difference is the first slave owed $10 billion. This slave owes, owes 10000 So he's willing to inflict the same judgment on a guy that only owed 10000 after just having been released from $4 billion worth of debt. And so he, he's showing that he had no true repentant heart. 
when he fell before the Lord and he asked God to for, when he asked the king to forgive him, he was merely trying to get out of his situation. Many of us plead with God. We get on our face. We ask God, forgive me for, for what I've done. But there is no more true repentance there than if you'd have never asked at all. You're just simply trying to get out of the situation you found yourself in. God, I've messed this up. Would you please forgive me? You might as well not even say, would you please forgive me? Just come, just come clean. God, I've messed this up. Because if you don't offer the forgiveness that you've been given, you, you prove one thing. That you haven't been forgiven. That sounds hard, I know. But God expects us to forgive. He continues, his fellow, so his fellow slave fell to the ground, began to plead with him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will repay you. But he was unwilling and went and threw him into prison. The same thing that had been threatened to be done to him, he actually did until he should pay back what he owed. So when his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved and came and reported to their Lord all that had happened. Caveat, people are watching you. When you're walking around in your sin, being all high and mighty and self-righteous, and you're saying, I'm a Christian, I'm doing this and doing this, the first time they see you acting something opposite of that, they're going to tell on you. The worst thing you can do is call yourself a Christian and not be one. Because when people, when you tell somebody, I'm a Christian, they're going to start watching to prove you wrong. More often than not, they're not going to come alongside you and be, oh, I'm a Christian too, man. Let me love you. Let me walk through this with you. They're looking for a reason. When we first planted the church, I got a phone call from a buddy of mine that I, I've had for years. He said, I want you to know something. It was within two months. He said, I want you to know something. He said, I still know a lot of the people that we used to know. And they're drooling, waiting for you to fall. They are expecting you to mess up. You come back to this city to pastor this city. They are hoping they get to watch you fall. People are hoping to watch you fall so that they can tell you, I knew all that trash you were talking was just trash you were talking. I knew there wasn't a change of heart in you. You know how you prove there's a change of heart in you? Have, have and walk with the heart that Christ had. We call ourselves Christian. You know what that means? means like Christ I call myself a Christian because I'm going to act like Christ but anyway all that's just a caveat because the people told on him then summoning him his Lord said to him you wicked slave I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you should we not have mercy demonstrated by the action of compassion played out in forgiveness because we've had mercy poured out on us? I know. I don't deserve what I have. I don't deserve the breath in my lungs. I don't deserve the house we live in, the wife that I've got. I don't deserve to have that grandbaby look at me like I'm the only thing on earth on the days that he wants to talk to me. <laughs> But God's not in the business of giving us what we deserve. 
Otherwise, he wouldn't be merciful. He's in the business of giving us what we don't deserve, which is, <clears throat> which is the lack of punishment, the lack of death, an offering of compassion, and an offering of forgiveness because of that passion. Do you want to know who God is? God is merciful. But I, I say all this not, to, not just to say God is merciful, because He is. But you should be merciful too. We are obligated to forgive the people that, even, regardless of how bad they offend us, we are obligated to forgive them. I'll say that again. You are under obligation to forgive them. Pastor Jim, you don't know what they did to me. I don't know what they did to you either. But I bet they didn't hang Jesus on a cross. But your sins did. My sins did. And if God's willing to die the death that God died so that I could have the life that I have, who am I to not offer that same life to somebody else in the form of forgiveness and mercy? The church has to learn to forgive. Forgiveness turns into bitterness, and bitterness will destroy. Well, it will destroy you. But not only are we expected to forgive those that ask us, we're expected to leave our offering at the altar and go find those that we have offended and ask for their forgiveness. That's that. That's that one will get you. It's easy for me to accept somebody else's forgiveness, but it's it's hard for me to ask people to forgive me. I was driving down. I've told this story to a couple of people. My mother and I have never had the the best of relationships, and we reconciled to the degree we we did in what year. 2008, 2008. We drove to Texas, spent Thanksgiving there. It, it, was, it was a beautiful thing. And I forgave her for all this stuff. About two years later, I'm driving down the road. And I know it was the Spirit because my flesh would have never thought of this. And it made me mad. The Spirit told me, now, Ask your mother to forgive you. And that made me angry because I was 15, 16, 14, 15 years old when what happened between us happened. I'm going to forgive me. I was a child. She got, I got nothing to ask her to forgive me for. And just as clear as, like, a, like I can see this room in my mind's eye, I saw my mother, who at that time would have been 33 years old, almost half my age now, wondering where her runaway son was and crying herself to sleep. I had never thought of that before. And I called Angela, it made me mad. I saw, Holy Spirit just, I think the Holy Spirit just told me this. That's ridiculous. That's not the Holy Spirit, right? Oh, I saw, nope, yep, that was the Holy Spirit. You'd have never thought of that on your own. 
And so I called her. And can I tell you, the healing between us never happened, never really happened until I called and asked her to forgive me. It took both. So I would ask you, who do you need to forgive? And who do you need to ask forgiveness from? And it's going to be uncomfortable. But it, it's okay if it's not comfortable. It probably shouldn't be comfortable. But it's better than the alternative. Which is to prove that you don't belong to God. Because those who have the heart of God will do as God does. Remember I told you I started this thing with the reason I'm teaching this series is so we can know the heart of God, who He is and His perfections, so that we can know who we're supposed to be. If God is merciful, we should be merciful. If His mercy plays out in compassion, we, sh we should be compassionate. And if that compassionate plays out in the form of forgiveness, then we should both ask forgiveness and be willing to forgive. Or what we do is say that we truly don't really understand the heart of God in the first place. So I challenge you, If you're holding unforgiveness in your heart, for the sake of your own health, forgive. If you've offended someone and you know, go to them and ask their forgiveness. They may tell you tell you to climb a tree. But that's that's their problem. You ask with a sincere heart. Let the Spirit of God deal with them. But if God's merciful, and He is, and He's given us what only He can give us, which is a forgiveness of a debt we can't pay, then we should be willing to do the same for other people. Amen? God is merciful and expects mercy of us.